If you want to pump your body and expand your mind, there's only one place to go. Mind Pump. Mind Pump. With your hosts, Sal Stefano, Adam Schaefer, and Justin Andrews. You just found the world's number one fitness, health, and entertainment podcast. This is Mind Pump. Exciting day. It's the 10-year anniversary of MAPS Anabolic, and we're releasing a brand new program, MAPS Anabolic Advanced. This is not MAPS Anabolic plus extra sets, extra volume, or extra exercise. It's a completely new program, and we break down what's in it. We break down the techniques. This is valuable whether you follow this program or not. You'll learn some things. For example, you'll learn how to utilize failure training properly. You'll learn how to utilize volume training properly. You'll learn the benefits of weighted stretching, partial reps, deload weeks. It's a great episode. We know you're going to enjoy it. This episode is brought to you by a sponsor. The sponsor is LMNT. LMNT is an electrolyte drink that helps fuel your workouts. Go check them out. Go to drinklmnt.com forward slash mind pump. Now, because this is a launch, MAPS Anabolic Advanced is going to be on sale. So it's going to retail for $157, but the launch is going to be $97. Plus, we're going to throw in two free eBooks. The first one is Advanced Training Techniques. The second one is the Carb Cycling Diet. So $97, you get the brand new MAPS Anabolic Advanced program. You get Advanced Training Techniques. You get the Carb Cycling Diet. All if you do it during the launch period, which ends February 26th. So if you're interested, just go to anabolicadvance.com. So anabolicadvance.com and use the coupon code AA60 for the discount plus the free eBooks. All right, here comes the show. All right, we got a new program launch. This one's super exciting. Boom! It's MAPS Anabolic Advanced. This is the 10-year anniversary of MAPS Anabolic. So we created a new MAPS program. Again, it's MAPS Anabolic Advanced. This one's pretty awesome. Uh, 10 years in the making, Ten man. 10 years, How's dude. it feel? Feels great. It's, huh? uh, it's pretty exciting. You yeah. actually are uh, in all the videos here, too. I know. That uh, was, that, you I, guys had to convince me of that. I, I love that yep. you were a, te a team player by, by doing that. I know we've hired models to do all the programs since we started and to save us some money yeah. <laughs> that was really the desired outcome yeah. <laughs> that's the truth session coming the idea was to save some money <laughs> so uh, get in there yeah you know yeah. what's cool though what i really love about this program and when i was listening to you do the launch on the forum and it, it's so true like this does not this doesn't look like maps anabolic at all no. it's uh it's really unique and so if you think that like oh it's maps anabolic with just more volume or different exercises it's it's not that at all so explain to the audience um kind of the the evolution or how you got to there considering that it is it is so unique compared to maps anabolic it's a totally different program the reason why it's called anabolic advance well there's two reasons one is it's the 10-year anniversary of maps anabolic but the second reason this one's more important is that the first MAPS Anabolic Advanced, was, excuse me, the first MAPS Anabolic was the culmination of the previous, I don't know, 17 years of experience that I had, both training myself as a kid and then becoming a trainer, training clients, working with other trainers, managing gyms, doing my research on how the body builds muscle, how adaptation works, um, the, the ways that people worked out before steroids became a big deal, um, you know, different techniques. That was the culmination of all of that experience and knowledge. Now, since then, it's been 10 years, okay? And over the last 10 years, I haven't stopped, none of us have stopped reading, researching, right. um, learning, 
In fact, I would say the last 10 years, we've probably learned more than, than ever because mm -hmm. of the podcast, mm -hmm. because we've had the opportunity to interview really smart people. We've been deep in the research, always trying to bring good content. And there's been a lot of things that I've learned since then. And so MAPS Anabolic Advanced is now the last 10 years of cumulative knowledge applied to a radically different uh, program. And really the goal was to solve a few problems and to figure out why, you know, why some techniques work, why they stop working, how can we solve that and put together a program that that just blows away what anybody else uh, has done. And that's really what, what this- Yeah, you've included in this one some techniques that we don't have in any other MAPS programs, mm -hmm. even some techniques that may seem a bit uh, counter or controversial to yeah. what we've talked about before. And so- Which I love that we do that. Uh, and this is one of those things, like it's never off the table in terms of it being a valid practice, which just has to be programmed correctly. Yes. And so, yeah, that was like, it's cool that we can get through because we've already established uh, the basic um, general everyday average person type programs where we're like, here's, here's like what you mainly need to focus on, but also how can we ex accelerate this? How can we intensify this a bit further, but also make it uh, a quality program? Yeah. I don't, I don't ever want to discredit um, thousands of anecdotes and research when it comes to muscle hypertrophy. So to give an example, MAPS Anabolic Advanced is the first MAPS program where we really program in train to failure. That's one component. There's more than that, but that's one component of failure training. Now, failure training, you've probably heard us, if you've listened to the podcast, you've probably heard us say many times, it's too much intensity most of the time for most people. So just avoid it. And that's true mainly because failure training has never been programmed in a way where any of us have seen it be consistently effective. Now, that doesn't that doesn't discredit failure training because there is something to it, right? Like Arthur Jones, the inventor of Nautilus equipment, was one of the first people to kind of uh, latch onto this and see that it could produce extremely rapid results. I remember when I first experimented with this as a kid with uh, Heavy Duty. This was a book written by Mike Menser, who was a popular bodybuilder in the 70s and 80s. And then Dorian Yates, who was Mr. Olympia, and his, his style of training was called Blood and Guts, but it was heavily influenced by Arthur Jones and Mike Menser. And my experience with failure training with myself and my clients was, and why I stopped even trying to advocate for it was, it did produce these really rapid gains in muscle and strength, but then you would plateau so hard, so fast, and then nothing would happen. And injury would happen, or overtraining would happen, or burnout would happen. And so I, this whole time over the last 10 years, I'm like, how can I figure this? How can we figure this problem out? How can we incorporate this with its values, but mitigate its negatives? How can we take the benefits, maximize those and minimize uh, the negatives? I remember you talking about that. And it was one of those where it could have gone the other way. Like you could have been like a total evangelist for it because it did produce such great results initially. But then, you know, going through that, they started to uh, go turn into a, a problematic kind of direction. It did. So there's a few things that um, I learned through, like I said, over the last 10 years plus previous when it comes to failure training and how to make it work. One of them is the volume has to be much lower. And people will ask, well, how much lower should the volume be? It turns out about one third, generally one third the volume of your normal training. So if you do, let's say you did nine sets for a body part typically, 
um, and you stop maybe two reps short of failure, like we typically um, recommend, but you want to try trained to failure, three sets is about what you'd want to do. So one third the volume for failure training, because the intensity is so high, volume needs to be brought down. And this is again, what previous people have found. And this is again, what I found when I experimented with this, when I had Doug tries, when I had other people try this, when I looked at the literature uh, and the research, another thing was that failure training didn't seem to do very well with low reps. Now, low reps have a lot of value. They have tons of value. But for low reps to have value, you got to be able to do a lot of volume in terms of sets. Like if you're going to do sets of three reps, you typically want to do a lot of sets of three reps. One set to failure with three reps just doesn't seem to be enough volume or produce enough of a stimulus to cause muscle growth. Plus the risk of injury risk is so reward, high. Right. Yeah, like failing on three reps is like you're using more weight than or a lot of weight uh, in, you know, in the context of how much you can lift. So the risk of injury is high. So I also found that higher reps tends to work better with failure training. Now, the research is cool with this because if you look at the research, they find that even as high as 30 reps produces great muscle growth so long as you go to failure. So higher reps, less volume, about one-third the volume. Um, and uh, you need to also be able to figure out how to get around the fact that your body adapts so quickly to the style of training. Because you do see these really rapid results and then boom, within a few weeks, that's it. Your body stops progressing. And so the question was, how can we program other methods and techniques along with this to continue to get the same kind of progress and to, to avoid those, you know, those hard plateaus. So now to, in terms of like the structuring of this program, would you say it feels a little more leaning on the bodybuilder side or, or like powerlifting kind of side and strength? Cause I know maps in a box was a bit of a combo of both. Yeah. I'd say it's a combination, but probably lean more towards bodybuilding. So this is a muscle building and I would I would say anabolic actually leans more towards strength, right? Yeah. Or more towards like powerlifting style. Right. It's very close to, um, I mean, the, the the foundational exercises that are in anabolic are are your staple movements that you'd see in almost any in a powerlifting program. Yeah. But this has a lot more bodybuilder esque uh, um, uh, exercises inside of it. Yeah. Well, the goal is with with anabolic. The goal was also just to build a lot of muscle and strength. This one, the same thing. Okay. But if I had to like define it. I would say it's more bodybuilding than anything. So, and that's what I noticed too. I did get great strength gains following the, the this well, program, but I built a lot of muscle. There was just a few reasons why I asked because there's a couple <clears throat> concepts I, I know that I, I've actually seen like a Ben Pakulski or somebody kind of bring up that I feel like, you know, some of these might've been a bit of an inspiration yes. to, to incorporate. Uh, and one of those was the partial reps uh, too that was like a part of this. Yeah, so so partial reps. So here's the thing with, with training to failure. And I'm going to get to how I got around the, the the fact that your body just adapts so quickly to this. Uh, we're going to get to that. But partial reps are an intensity amplifier because what you'll find with training to failure is at some point you need to make the intensity even higher so long as the total programming makes sense. You need to increase the intensity in some way to keep getting those results. And there's a lot of different ways to do this. You can do drop sets, strip sets, rest pause, all that stuff. But partial reps seemed to be the best. It produced the best results. It was the safest, and it cost uh, it caused the least amount of, of of plateauing. And so, essentially, what that looks like is you would do a set to failure. And by the way, failure is doing as many reps as you can with 
good form, knowing that the next rep, you're not going to be able to have good form. So it's not that you, you know, drop the bar and like literally fail, but rather I do as many as I can. And I know that this is my last good rep. So that's failure. Then from there in this program, as you progress, you phase in or add in partial reps to that. So let's say I did 10 reps to failure on the bench press. I know that's my last rep. Then I would do like two or three partial reps at the end to really just squeeze out that extra bit uh, of intensity. But we should definitely go back and talk about how I got around the 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 fact that you plateau so quickly mm-hmm. on training to failure. Well, just like there's value in training to failure, low volume, high intensity, there's value obviously in higher volume, lower intensity training. And this is the more popular style of training. This is more of your traditional style of training. And I noticed that when I trained this way, or train my clients this way versus the high intensity, low volume way, there were different effects in the sense that the soreness felt different, like training with going to failure, the delayed onset muscle soreness happens a little, uh, a little, uh, delayed. So like volume training gets sore faster. Intensity takes a little longer. Um, the pump feels a little bit different. The CNS response feels a little different. So I thought to myself, I said, you know, I wonder if alternating the adaptation signaling through the program would prevent the the quick plateau and would maximize the benefits of both and minimize the the negatives of each. And sure enough, that's what I found. So with MAPS Anabolic Advanced, what I did is I took volume training and I alternated it with uh, failure training. So you would do a week where you do high volume, let's say six to nine sets per body part, uh, you know, hit that body part twice a week. So you're looking at 12 to 18 total sets per week for a body part. And then you'd go the next week would be failure where you're doing like two to three sets to failure. Now it's not one exercise, two to three sets. It's two or three exercises, one set to failure each. This is something that I borrowed from Dorian Yates's uh, blood and gut style training. The way he trained is he would do like four or five exercises for a body part, but it would be one set to failure each. This way he was able to hit different angles, especially for large body parts like the back, but also not do too much, you know, volume, um, uh, you know, with it. So that's how that kind of looks. So when you alternate, it's like your body continues to progress and you maximize the effects of both the pump from the volume, the strength from the failure. Um, and you seem to not plateau by alternating, uh, in this fashion. And this, then of course the program's phase. So it's this is my more. favorite part of the program. I don't think I've ever seen anything like this. Mm, yeah. I've never seen like any, any program I've ever seen that advocates for it's one or the other. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is. It's one or the other. Mm-hmm. I've, I, to be honest with you, I never even thought to to doing that, to toggling back and forth. Was there something that kind of light bulb that went off for you or like, hey, I'm just going to try this and see how I feel? I mean, what, what, what led to even doing that? Yeah. So the way I felt when I would uh, plateau from failure training felt different than the way I would plateau with volume training. So I thought, um, you know, they're different stimulus, slightly different. They, are, they probably are sending, they're both sending a muscle building signal, but it might be different enough to where I rest some aspects of my body with one and stress the other aspects in the other and then kind of flip them, right? So with failure training, your CNS, you really hammer your CNS. Like you do a set of squats to failure and it is like, it is brutal. Taxing, yeah. taxing on the CNS. Volume training seems to be more taxing on the muscle itself, um, it, just for lack of a better term. So I said- huh, I wonder if I alternate them, if I'm going to kind of alternate the stresses and the benefits and alternate the negatives so that I can keep my body, you know, moving forward. 
And it did. It totally did. When I would do it this way, it was like I would I would continue to progress every single week. Each week felt like a break from the previous week. Yeah. Does that mm -hmm. make sense? <clears throat> yeah. Each each week felt new and felt like a break break from the previous week. And then when I would repeat that week, two weeks later, I would see myself just be stronger. So like when the volume week would repeat, you know, two weeks later, because I'd go volume failure, volume failure, and so on, I would get better with that. And the same thing with the, the failure training, which was pretty amazing. Now with the volume training, the lower reps are great. There's nothing wrong with lower reps. So you'll see the phasing in this program. The rep ranges are different for failure than they are for, for the volume style. The They both scale up as you move through the program. So the reps start here and they continue to go up as you go from phase one, two, and three. But the reps start lower with the volume training and start higher with the failure training and end up higher with the failure training than they do with the volume training. In fact, the last phase, you're doing sets of failure in the 20s which is just gnarly and is really interesting on how- Super body, fatiguing, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's really gnarly on how the body responds. I wonder how many people are going to be tempted to want to carry the failure training into the volume week. Yep. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. probably if you know. I I love when we launch something and then you know the course over the course of the next two to three months we'll start getting all the the feedback of everybody that's going through it and the things that they were challenged with the things they love about it, and I predict that this is going to be an area where people will be tempted because they'll they'll just like I remember as a kid training to failure and mm -hmm. feeling those results come on or seeing those strength gains and then been wanting to keep doing that. I bet that's going to be an area where where people are challenged. Like, uh, how how important do you think it it is that these people caution themselves and follow it to a T and not be tempted by the desire to you know the following week push the failure training. You 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 if you don't follow the programming, you will quickly burn out. That's just the fact. You will one hundred percent. In my experience, because we're flirting with that line in this program, and compared to other things, I mean, because always, of the failure training, good programming is always flirting with that line, right? Good programming is is trying to hit the the optimal yeah. amount of of stimulus. More is never better, neither is less. So um, this program is no different. If you push failure training consistently, your body will plateau hard, so hard that it'll take you weeks to come back to be able to progress. So it's a really hard plateau, and the plateau happens at like you know week three or four if you follow this kind of training. In fact, Mike Menser, this was something he never figured out. And I have so much respect for him because he was one of the first people to question traditional volume training. And now he went too far. He said volume training was, was ineffective or whatever and it totally flew in the face of obviously all the other bodybuilders that train that way. But he would do this where he would, the way he would remedy this, which to his, I mean, really to his fault, this is what, when a, a lot of people stop listening to him, is he would have people train three days a week to failure. Then when they'd stop progressing, two days a week to failure. Then when they'd stop progressing, one week to, a to one day a week, and then one day every other week. His idea was you just needed more time in between workouts. Hmm. And it just got ridiculous and your body would just stop progressing. This was his, this is what he thought the answer was. And this is why his program, you know, people did it and liked it for like a month or two. And then yeah. we're like, this, this isn't working. It's exactly what I experienced when I followed it as well is that I, I, you know, it worked and then it stopped working real fast, real hard. But when it worked, it worked crazy. Like the strain gains were crazy. The muscle gains were crazy. So that's why I was like, I got to figure this problem out because there's got to be something here we can utilize rather than, you know, typically what, what we would do in the past is if we took really hard sets to failure, 
we would just say something like, do that every once in a great while, Yeah, is what we would say, and then keep your training the same. Well, that this is the hardest part about creating a program for the masses. Like, of course, we, we talk on the podcast, or we have for years, about um, you know, cautioning people around training to failure, yet we all implement it into our own training because mm. we we know our bodies. We know where to push those limits, what we're looking for, what we feel to scale back. And we've always known that basic general advice to the audience that they could train forever with never using failure and have great yeah. results. Therefore, it's a much smarter strategy for the average person. But does that mean or does that d discount the, the science that supports the benefits of failure? No, it's there. It's just the risk versus reward. And then, okay, well, then how do we teach people how to use this knowing there's going to be a wide range of the amount of that people, the amount of intensity that people can use, what would be a general. And I think what you came up with, with this flip-flopping the weeks is absolutely a brilliant way to introduce it to the masses so they can experience failure training, get reap some of those benefits from that, from what the science supports, mm -hmm. but then also teach Keep them how to check. Yeah. Right. To, to stay in check and not, not overdo it, which again, this is why I think, and, and why I'm going to say caution people that are going to feel it like it, like I did when I remember mm -hmm. I first got introduced to it and then be tempted to do more of it. That that'll be one of the number one pitfalls I see with people following this program is not following it to a T loving what they're seeing and then wanting to do more. of yeah, it. Yeah, no, they both have value. Um, like when you do the volume weeks, it's about feeling the muscle, getting the pump. Um, when you're going to failure, it's about moving the weight. It really is. It's about moving the weight and keep moving until your form is about to break down. It's a totally different feel on the body, which also has its own value. Here's something else that I realized. And I know this is not necessarily, people don't really think this is a, a selling point, but for those of us who experience know it is, when you're trained to failure and you're doing it right, you start to learn your limits. Because when I first did this, mm -hmm. I would do a set, uh, like let's say squats, because that's a, that's a real hard exercise. I'd get to rep 10, I'd be like, oh my God, I think I got one more and I'd do it and I'd be like, oh no, I got another one. And I'd do it. Well, I got, it was like five reps beyond mm -hmm. what I thought. Failure goes is a lot further than you think. And you learn that about your body. And then when yeah. you progress, you add the partials and it's like, you're able to summon an intensity. Yeah. If that's you never other... stress that you're, you're not going to really know your true potential. Mm. And so that's like, but it has to be within a controlled setting right? Right. And, and something that uh, you, you evaluate the risk reward. Um, but, that's the nice part of having a program where it's all laid out and it's already thought of ahead of time how to move you back. Um, so that way, you know, you reap the benefit of it and you don't, um, you know, uh, go a little bit too far like your your normal tendency would be. No, you'll feel, what's cool about this is you'll feel each week how different it feels on your body and you'll progress each week as you're training, but it'll feel different as you progress and it's real exciting and fun to do it that way. And it's a different mindset. When you go into the gym, it's a different kind of soreness, really hard to explain, but I promise you, if you try this, you're going to be like, this is weird. Like I'm sore differently on failure weeks than I am on, on volume weeks. Now that's not the only thing that I included in this that we've never included before, because I also learned a lot. Uh, stretching techniques are awesome, dude. So, so here's what's weird. Weighted stretching sends a muscle building signal. It sounds weird, but it's true. There's, there's really interesting animal studies on this. There's studies on humans. There's one famous study where they take a bird mm. and they put one of its wings in this like weighted stretch. And that's that corresponding peck just blows up with size. Oh yeah. I've seen that. It's really interesting. Weighted stretching causes muscle growth. Um, bodybuilders flirt with this all the time. 
We know in studies that the stretch portion of an exercise is the part of the rep or the exercise that causes the most muscle growth. So when they compare two exercises head-to-head that are similar, if one exercise puts the muscle in a stretch and the other one doesn't, the one that puts it in the stretch tends to build more muscle. So again, over the last 10 years, this has been something that I've researched and read about and experimented with and, you know, learning from people like, like Ben Pikulski, who, you know, does intraset stretching and reading about bodybuilders of the past that use this and strength athletes of the past that use this. And I fell on weighted stretching. Static stretching is okay. The problem with static stretching is we don't have a tendency to activate when we're in that stretch. Right. It tends to be more passive. Passive. Weighted yeah. stretching, you have to still support the weight, like holding a fly in the bottom position yeah, or holding like a tricep extension. I almost don't even like calling it like weighted stretching because to me it it is cl- it's closer to an isometric exercise than it is like a stretch in my opinion yeah. it's addressing re- end range strength because you're not you're not just relaxing no. in, in in that position you're you're staying tense you have to you're, i mean you're holding a weight yeah and, and so it, it's different than a stretch i think it's more like when i think of one of my favorite things that we did in map symmetry was including the isometric component in there for map symmetry i really believe that like that was a great way to introduce people to isometrics and the value, right? Mm-hmm. And then this to me is like an advanced way of utilizing that same yeah. type of science that supports the benefits of isometrics. Now you're using it in a weighted position that I think is an advanced technique, but also extremely beneficial and also something that a lot of people don't do. Yeah, the reason why I, mm-hmm. I, I didn't call it, call it isometrics is because the goal is to try to get the muscle to lengthen while you're holding the stretch. So as you follow MAPS anabolic Versus advance, being contracted. Right, right. So as it's not like I'm just holding a fly. I'm actually trying to get more of a range of motion as I'm going through the, the, the movement. So at the end of every body part in the failure weeks, because I include it in the failure weeks because I noticed that it didn't really provide as much benefit in the volume weeks. But when I added it to the failure weeks, whoa, it was like, I would say like five 5% increase in the results that I got uh, with the failure weeks when I included this. So at the end of a, let's say, chest workout, you would get into a stretch position with weights. So like a fly is a good example. And you would hold that position for 60 seconds, 90 seconds, or two minutes. So as you progress through MAPS Anabolic Advanced, you do the 60-second one, then you'll move to eventually phase two is 90 seconds and so on. So the goal is to increase the range of motion. Now, here's also why it's different from traditional isometrics. With isometrics, I'm trying to activate. With this, I'm trying to uh, lengthen, but I'm lengthening with weight. So the isometric is an, is almost like a byproduct. Mm-hmm. You know, r- rather than I'm just relaxing in it, I have to activate to some, I mean, I can't just completely, relax. I'll drop the dumbbells right. or tear something. So the isometric component's there, but it's hypertrophy based because it's in the stretch position versus activation based mm-hmm. where most is- isometrics are about activating this is like this is tapping into the very strange hypertrophy effect of holding a long stretch yeah. and and it doesn't cause much damage at all so it was a great way to add to the program it also had this benefit that i didn't see coming 
which was the pump oh, that came from it. Yes. Like what a cool benefit to to pair that with the lower volume failure training is to add this compo- this uh, weighted stretch component, which then all of a sudden pumps the muscle like I'm high volume training. So w- that was a really cool, unique thing that I didn't see coming until we actually did it. Yeah. So you get into like, let's say you do your two, th- two or three sets to failure for chest, then you go and hold it. You're already kind of, you got you got a decent pump, right? Then you go in and stretching, doing a weighted stretch on a pumped muscle. It has, it's only, you know what it's like? It's like occlusion training. It's, it, there's some similarities to it. So mm. you only do occlusion yeah, training. That's what it felt like. And mm. you're like, you have like five pound dumbbells, but if you feel the waist, you know, build up in the muscle and it burns so bad, that's what it feels like. So it's like this gnarly mm. fluid buildup. It's this gnarly stretch and the muscles pumped. So the stretch feels even more intense because the fluid's in there. And then you're right. You let go of the dumbbells. And it's like you squeeze another like five to ten percent more blood into the muscle, and the pump is gnarly at the end. But then what it also does because it's weighted is it's also connecting to a greater range of motion. Mm-hmm. So I noticed when I would go back to workouts, I got a a I got stronger in the straight stretch position as well. My range of motion, my active range of motion increased or improved as a result. So I wanted to incorporate this because. For the last 10 years, I've been reading about this, researching it, trying to apply it. And like, there's got to be a way, because what I like about it is I love ways to to tell the body to build muscle that also don't cause damage. Yeah. Because then it's something I can add to a normal workout so, so long as I add it properly, that'll just turbocharge it. Right? Well, and this has always been sort of my challenge to a lot of like hypertrophy bodybuilders type programming is, you know, just the range of motion considerations. And, um, you know, what I see in terms of dysfunction and like where that leads, if, if we're too focused on, uh, that style of training, uh, you know, and so to address that within the train, also gain the benefits of the hypertrophy effect with that, but in end range positions, I think is a massive benefit, which then also like fills out your physique even more and makes even more symmetrical. Yeah. The, The last thing that was added to this, that was another thing that I'd, I'd learned over the last 10 years that I didn't understand when I created the first MAPS Anabolic was deload weeks. When I, what I understood of deload weeks before was it's just a break. You need a break. Your body needs some rest. So you take off a week or you go easy in the gym, give your body a break and then get back to the gym, work out and you can start progressing again. But over the last 10 years, some really weird, well, I don't know, they're weird. They were weird to me, but they're, they're not so weird anymore. But interesting studies came out, right? Like we saw a study where they compared groups of men who worked out and one group worked out every week. The other group took a week off every four weeks. And at the end of the study, they both gained the same amount of muscle. So I'm like, okay, they Mm. took it off completely. Not a deload week. They took it off completely. Which is a lot. You're missing a lot. One fourth. Yeah. One fourth less same gains at the end. Yeah. So that right there made me go, Hmm. Okay. It's not just a break. Hmm. There's, there's also, you're still, you're not losing the muscle building signal. Like they didn't lose the muscle building signal. Then I read studies that showed that, when athletes did a deload week, so a deload week is you go to the gym and you train with like, like you know, 50% of the volume or less and 50% of the intensity. intensity. Yeah, you yeah. go to the gym and you work out, but it's like super easy, kind of, you know, low volume, low intensity. And these studies showed that the athletes or participants built the most muscle in the deload week. Mm-hmm. So the study, the first study I, I mentioned, they didn't lose any muscle. These ones showed that a deload week, during that deload week, the muscle gains accelerated. And I said, oh, how can I utilize this in programming? 
to maximize muscle gains even further. Yeah, well, what I love is that this was the consideration because of the fact that we've cranked that intensity knob even even harder with this program. Now to have that programmed in is a an actual week that's designated to more of the active recovery and really considering to balance that out uh, and, and provide you the benefits of actually adapting and not just getting in that same kind of recovery trap that you yeah. get into. Well, we really... What's really cool about this one is we built in a lot of this. Like when we, we obviously we answer a lot of questions um, from live callers about some of the programs that they're going through. And there's many times where you hear us say something like, whoa, we'll scale back the sets yeah. in there. Maybe pull back a little bit on there. Or, you know, if, it's, if that still doesn't work, then maybe add in a, a deload week for like a week and just do some mobility, like some, you know, active recovery type training, just take really take down the volume. So we, we've had to do this for, a, a, you know, lots of people that have gone through the program. And then others are like, I can handle all that. Could I do more? And so this program, not only has it got the deload weeks as an optional thing built in there, but then there's also programmed there, the option to add more exercises in sets or yeah. more sets on some of these exercises. And so it really gives this really wide range of the, you know, level that somebody could, they could still follow this program. So you could be on the more beginner side, say it's your first year or two of training, still follow this program and lean towards more of the lower volume side when you have the option and make sure you include the deload week every, every fourth week or whatever. And then you have the other side of people that are extremely advanced. You've been lifting for a very long time. Your body can handle tons of volume. And so you have the ability to have the higher volume in increased sets and also reduce maybe the amount of deload weeks that you have in there. So it really broadens the well, range of people. I want to be clear though. Okay. So I don't want people to get confused. The deload weeks. Yes. There's the recovery component uh, to it, but the deload weeks build muscle. I want to be clear. It's not a break. Like I need a break. It is, but it's also, it also builds muscle. That's, that was one of the biggest aha moments for me over the last 10 years was reading these studies on deload weeks and seeing that people built more muscle in the deload week than they did in the hard training oh, week. Oh, my, my recommendation would be that no matter how advanced you think you That's are- That's what I'm saying. Run the program through- on the one lower volume and deload weeks first, because you can always come up. Yes. That the, way you have something to compare to because so many people think, oh, more is better. And, and oh, if I do it, don't, you know, skip the deload week or go as high sets that I can, that that's going to be better for me. And I don't, you know, I was wrong with that. I mean, I thought that that's something, a lesson that I continue to learn in my own programming is you know, I always think I can do more and I can, I can handle more. But to the point you always bring is that there's a difference between what your body can handle and what's optimal for it. And many times what's optimal for it is actually less than this what you think. This is the tendency of advanced lifters, yep. you know, and it's just like, so that's why it's programmed in there. Like just follow it and see what kind of result you can produce from that. Uh, give it a chance before you get, you, you overanalyze it and you know, make that same mistake that, you know, maybe I don't need this because I've been lifting for here's, so long. Here's what it'll look like. About 80% of the people that follow this program will build more muscle and more strength by following the program with the deload weeks. 20% will see no difference. So that's it. Not that they'll get better gains by skipping the deload weeks. They're just not going to see a difference by adding the deload weeks. So it's not better or worse. It's better or the same. So that's that's what I'm trying to say about the deload weeks. It's not, yes, it's a break. Yes, it allows for recovery. But this is a muscle building week. Don't, don't, don't fool yourself. This week 
even though you're going to look at the workout during that deload week and be like, oh my gosh, it's so easy. I'm going to go and do 50% intensity. I'm only doing two strength training workouts this week and a couple week, a couple days of just regular activity. That week, you will build more muscle. Every time I did a deload week, I thought, oh, I'm going to lose some muscle volume. I'm going to get a little bit less of a pump. And instead, the opposite happened. I felt like everything kind of accelerated a little bit. And then I go back to the next phase and it was like, boom, I just, I grew. So the muscle growth, the strength gains happened throughout the program, but the big gains happened uh, right after the deload weeks when I go back to, to, to the next phase. So, and this is the only MAPS program where we program in deload weeks versus us saying, take some time off if you think you need it. This is actually programmed in and there's workouts that are in the deload week. So we actually program the deload workouts in this as well. So you've got all those things combined and programmed together. And again, uh, we don't have any maps. This is the only mass program that has that, that combines volume training and alternates it with low intent, low volume, high intensity failure training programs in partials and intensity amplifiers, weighted stretching, and then deload weeks. So again, if the first maps anabolic was all my previous 18 years of experience into that, this was the next 10 years of learning about these things and figuring out these problems and creating this new program. So let's break down week by week what each phase looks like then. Yeah. So, okay. So phase one, so essentially what's going to look like each phase is four weeks long. Each phase will start with a volume workout week. And then the next week is a failure workout week. And then again, volume and then failure. So alternates. The split is upper, lower core mobility, upper, lower core mobility. That last core mobility workout is optional, so it could be a five or six-day-a-week routine. So upper, lower core mobility. The rep ranges for the first phase, uh, volume is six to eight. For failure is uh, eight to 12. Then when you go to the next phase, both rep ranges go up. So the, the volume weeks are lower than the failure weeks. But at the, the last phase, you're going up to like as high as 20 reps with, with going to failure. So that's kind of how it's all broken broken down. You're doing... On the volume weeks, six to nine sets per workout per body part. So about 12 to 18 sets total per body part. On the failure weeks, you're doing like two or three sets to failure per body part twice a week. So between four to six total sets. Uh, and then the, the weighted stretching starts in phase one at 60 seconds. At the end of each body part, you do a weighted stretch. It moves up to 90 seconds and then 120 seconds. And the partial reps also advance because each phase, the failure week, the intensity amplifies. We, we, we're sending a louder intensity signal with the partial reps. So you do scale as you continue to go through. So you're looking at four weeks, deload week, then four weeks, deload week, then four weeks. And that's the whole entire program. Now, did we, I know we discussed the other day about making a big point of this in the blueprints or not. Um, did we, and if not, I definitely want to make sure we make a point to say it on the podcast that it's important that even if you are an advanced lifter, I would run through the program the first time on the lower option yes. of sets yes. and then ramp up afterwards. So you can see how your body responds yes. From that set of volume before you add any more volume. Yeah, probably about 10% of people would do better with the higher volume. Uh, everybody else, so if you're like like really genetically gifted, super advanced, been working out for a long time, great nutrition, you know, stress is good, good sleep, everything's on point, then you can try the higher volume, but everybody else go with the lower volume option. So what you'll see in the blueprints is exercise, exercise, 
optional exercise. The optional one is the added volume if you want to add more. Yeah. I did, uh, I'd, said I, I, I'd say I did half of it um, at the lower volume and then half of it with the higher volume just to see how I'd feel. The deload weeks were really amazing because when I would do the higher volume, I was like, ooh, I'm pushing it a little bit. But then I hit that deload week, come back, and I was like, I was like, I'm fire. I felt yeah. phenomenal. So that's basically how it's broken down. Uh, this this program, I'm going to give you some warnings, okay? And again, this sounds like this is going to sound like a takeaway sale, but it's not. This is honest. Be very mindful of your form when you follow this program because the strength gains come so fast, especially in the beginning, especially in the first phase or two with the failure weeks, that you're going to be tempted to just add weight to the bar. Um, but if your form isn't perfect, those stabilizer muscles and your stability might not be able to catch up and you may find yourself at a higher risk of injury. It happened to me. So when I started, my squat went up. I, I, towards the end of it, I was going to failure with like 400 something pounds on the bar and I just kept adding weight and then I tweaked my knee a little bit. And what I should have done is rather than adding weight, I should have slowed the reps down and made it harder uh, in that way. So be very mindful of your form perfect, perfect, perfect form because when you're pushing intensity and your form goes off and you're adding tons of strength, the risk of injury goes up really high. Who is this program absolutely for and who is it not for? This is not a beginner program, um, but if you're working out now and you've already been working out and you have experience, then it's for you. This is not so advanced that you need to be like high-level bodybuilder or whatever. This, If you're following a MAPS program now and you have been, you could definitely do uh, MAPS Anabolic Advanced. So, um, But if you're a beginner um, or you haven't worked out for three months or six months and you're deconditioned, I wouldn't start with this. I would, I would challenge that a little bit still. Like if you are somebody who just is followed, uh, you know, MAPS Resistance or MAPS oh, Starter. Yeah, 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 yeah. Those um, two for sure. Yeah. I would say go to Anabolic first and then follow this. But if you've ran one of our core programs, yeah, yeah. one of the RGB, right? So either Anabolic, Performance, or Aesthetic, you've already ran that. You absolutely can follow that up with this. That'd but, probably be the prerequisite, right? At least one of our like main core programs. Yeah, and if you're, hand. yeah, and if or you're, if you're working out on your own and you're consistent and you're working out, you know, consistently three, four, five days a week in the gym, you've been yeah. Doing but it for even a while. then, don't you? If you've never trained a maps program, I still would want you to go with anabolic first, so you can experience anabolic. So that's first. on the safer side, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. even if you're an advanced person, anabolic is so valuable for. So if you've never let us program for you, follow anabolic, yeah. and then go through that process, and then this would be the next one after yeah. that if you really wanted to do it. Yeah, That's what's interesting ideally. with this is your ability to ramp up your intensity as you progress through the program. You don't realize that uh, you can actually improve upon that. Like my ability to ramp up the intensity as I continue to train this and and summon strength and summon you know intensity was like it improved as I continue to train through this. One of the other benefits of this is it, you learn a lot about your body, you learn about how you feel during different training phases and you know how your body responds to volume, how it responds to intensity. So it's a great program, especially for trainers. I would say trainers, this will be good for you to follow because then you then it'll give you a good idea of how to use these on your clients and when to use them appropriately. So I was talking to Brett. Brett runs our our marketing team uh, this morning and we went live officially already to the private forum. They've had access to that. Um, where it's record sales already in uh, the forum already. And one of the things I was asking him, like, you know, what is your thoughts on it? 
he actually was saying the ebooks that are included this time, he thinks are the best ebooks that we've ever included yeah. on this because of how specific they are to most people that are probably looking for a pro with this. And so he actually attributes a lot of the to that to the ebooks that are coming with this. Yeah, okay. So here's the deal. So um, whenever we launch a program, we put it on sale. So Maps Anabolic Advanced is gonna retail for $157. The launch special is $97. So $97 is what the price is going to be during this launch period, which will end on the 26th of February. But we also included for free two ebooks that we're going to end up selling later on. So each ebook later on will be $47 each. But if you sign up during the launch special, you get them for free. And the first one is Advanced Train Techniques. So in this ebook uh, that I, I, I include, so I wrote both books and in Advanced Train Techniques, I wrote in all the ways that you could break through plateaus or add advanced training techniques. Everything from, uh, you know, uh, partial reps, drop sets, using progressive resistance like chains and bands and uh, negatives and forced reps, like all the advanced training techniques. I put them in there, explain how they work, their benefits, their risks, their detriments, and then how to use them in your own training, like how frequently you can do them without them becoming too much for your body type of deal. The second ebook is the carb cycling diet ebook. We get a lot of questions on how to cycle carbs, whether people are cutting or bulking. Carb cycling has been very popular for a long time with athletes and bodybuilders because of its effects on behavior, appetite, exercise performance. Um, it's 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 the, one of the more popular ways to 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 tweak your diet to get yourself better results with the same calories is, is carb cycling. I and mean, bodybuilders, like I said, I've been doing this a long time. So it's advanced training techniques, carb cycling diet, both eBooks included for free with the $97 launch special price for Maps Anabolic Advanced. If you're interested, you go to anabolicadvanced.com and then the coupon code is AA60 for the $60 off plus the eBooks. And again, this ends Sunday, February 26th. So give it a shot. Thank you for listening to Mind Pump. If your goal is to build and shape your body, dramatically improve your health and energy, and maximize your overall performance, check out our discounted RGB Super Bundle at mindpumpmedia.com. The RGB Super Bundle includes MAPS Anabolic, MAPS Performance, and MAPS Aesthetic, nine months of phased expert exercise programming designed by Sal, Adam, and Justin to systematically transform the way your body looks, feels, and performs. With detailed workout blueprints and over 200 videos, the RGB Super Bundle is like having Sal, Adam, and Justin as your own personal trainers, but at a fraction of the price. The RGB Super Bundle has a full 30-day money-back guarantee, and you can get it now plus other valuable free resources at mindpumpmedia.com. If you enjoy this show, please share the love by leaving us a five-star rating and review on iTunes and by introducing Mind Pump to your friends and family. We thank you for your support, and until next time, this is Mind Pump.